the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. It's four o'clock and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, whatever's on your heart. All we need you to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything then is hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producers. Hey, it's Wednesday. Tonight, I have the privilege of teaching Psalm 84. Uh, absolutely a thrilling opportunity. It's our last meeting together as a church in 2021. So I got to do good. Putting a lot of pressure on myself to do well. Uh, Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio on the date day edition. And then we will not be live on Friday. So if you want to talk to Paula, tomorrow is your last chance as well. Well, let's get to questions as we are going to get through this today. And I think we've got... um, it says I've got a call on line one, but there's no name. It says, hold on. Okay, I've got Renee on line one. Wraith, Renee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a Hi. question. My son just got engaged, and his girlfriend, or his, I'm sorry, fiance, doesn't like his last name. So she wants him to take her last name. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, really, it's not a it's not a, a a biblical issue at all. But it's it's one of those issues. If I was the pastor who was doing the premarriage counseling, I would ask them: Is this a kind of an issue of submission? Uh, if things like this going to be a problem? Um, I, I would not be in favor of that at all. Um, you know, I married a, a girl with a perfectly normal last name, Anderson, and gave her this name, Arbaugh. But um, uh, I I think maybe that's sort of a predictor of problems to come in the future. Uh, Maybe this is something the family could sit down and talk about, but I would would certainly counsel them to get some pre-marriage counseling and discuss these kinds of issues. And if I, again, if I was the pastor doing it, Renee, I would for sure want to sort of dig in a little bit and see if this is going to be um, symptomatic of of future problems with submitting to the leadership of the husband, those kinds of things. So um, other than that, there's no biblical mandate. They would still be just as married if they chose um, her last name. Uh, I would just be concerned about the things behind them. Sorry, I can't be any more specific than that, but 
it, it would it would be at least a red flag for me as a pastor. Huh. Tough things. Here is a question from Dewey. Uh, my question is about the Levites appointed for service. Uh, what was the significance of this tribe serving as the leader in worship, and why did God call them to do this sacred duty? And then he's got another question about Korah's rebellion. Um, the Levites were chosen by God. That was just, you know, to, to ask why did God choose them, uh, he just did. And they were the ones who didn't get any portion of the land in the promised land because God was their portion. Believe me, had they walked right with the Lord, then then it would have been by far the more honored of positions and the one we would all want to be in. But uh, they were just the priestly tribe. It was the tribe of Aaron and Moses. And um, um, they were the ones chosen by God to perform the service uh, at the tabernacle first and then later, of course, at the temple. So I think, do we, why God called them? is um, irrelevant. What, what's important is that God did call them to this duty. And um, he, the Old Testament is very consistent. Now, it's a question about Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Um, this chapter to me is very heartbreaking uh, because so many things happened that shouldn't have happened. So many lost their lives in this one. Uh, what led Korah to an attempted coup d'etat? Good word, dude. How did they find reason to go into the tabernacle and prepare incense burner and present it to the Lord while knowing God did not choose them to lead Israel. Why would anybody go into the tabernacle when there is a cloud above that turns into a pillar of fire by night knowing it is just the power of God? And then he goes on to explain he was a soldier and he knows what it means to swear an oath of allegiance. But the idea is why would uh, Korah lead a rebellion? And the answer is um, pretty simple. Um, um, then as now, um, rebellion is in the hearts of sinful man. Um, the leader of this rebellion was Korah. He also was a Levite. Um, his people later would become the primary worship leaders in Israel. And just like Moses and Aaron, um, they were descendants um, uh, from the tribe of Levi. Now, the Kohathites, and this is his tribe, they had the most um, sacred duty among all of the Levites. They were responsible for carrying the most holy things of the temple. Um, um, Korah rebelled against Moses' leadership. He said, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Now, I can't help Dewey but to, to, to uh, equate this to the time that we live in. If you've ever been involved in a church split, it's really, really painful. It is heartbreaking for sure. And the reason there is a church split in every church is flesh. And usually there's somebody who doesn't want to submit to the leadership of another or they want to be in leadership and have others submit to them. Certainly that was the case with Korah. He wasn't content with what God called him to do. Uh, serving with the other Levites. And so his way of attacking was accusing Moses of being prideful and, and you're taking too much upon yourself. We should all be leaders. You think about um, uh, congregational leadership in, in so many churches these days. Uh, everybody wants to vote. Everybody wants to say so. When, when the Lord says very clearly that we're to submit to those in spiritual authority over us. Now, it's also significant, and it shows you Korah's heart, uh, that the accusation was made in public. Um, in front of the 250 leaders of the congregation. These are men who were well-known. And um, Korah was a guy who simply liked to play to an audience. He tried to draw a following after himself. Um, but Moses was the one that God had instructed he was to lead and they were to follow. Now, when he said that you take too much upon yourself, Korah was acting as if he represented all the people and was fighting for their interests when in reality all he wanted was a following for himself and basically was saying, Moses, uh, you shouldn't be leader. Let everyone be a leader. God can speak to everyone. And that's what people are doing even now. And so it's just nothing but rebellion. And Moses uh, certainly was content to let God choose uh, who, was, who, who, was, who had God's authority. 
And of course, we know what happened. We know that uh, those 250 men with Korah and their families, uh, the earth opened and swallowed them. And that was God simply saying, okay, I choose Moses just like I chose him before. I think the lesson for us, Dewey, is that we're simply not to get to the place where we think uh, that we know better than God. Uh, We're to follow the leaders that God has called and we're to do it and make their work a joy, Paul says. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jason says, can you practically give me some examples of what it means to take every thought captive? Um, Jason, I think I can. I hope I hope so. Um, to take thoughts captive, you know, we all get these ugly thoughts, these uh, um, sinful thoughts. Um, remember, the enemy brings these thoughts in. Uh, And it's not a sin to think them, it's a sin to act on them. So before we act out on those thoughts, uh, we have to take the thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And by that, I mean, we simply say, God, I I just got this thought in my mind about doing something. I don't want to do that because that would dishonor you. So, Lord, I choose to be obedient to you. And then Obedience Acts 5.32 says sort of triggers the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. So it's just the, the, the thoughts that come along every day. Uh, your husband or your wife uh, has an, uh, is, is angry. And um, we have to decide, am I going to give in to that anger or am I going to be a peacemaker? Well, that's taking the thought captive. I'm not going to be angry. Being obedient is saying, well, Lord, you've called us all to be peacemakers. So those are the kind of things, and it can it can be anything from ugly thoughts to sinful thoughts uh, to fleshy thoughts, and by that I mean I'm angry, I want to vent, um, whatever it is. And, and what we've got to do while we're in the middle of the feeling or the thought, um, what we've got to do is we've got to say, okay, Lord, I choose not to sin. I choose to honor you. You know, Jason, we all know what it feels like when we're, and I'll just use anger as one example. We all know what it feels like when we're getting angry. Instead of letting the anger boil over, when we are feeling it, then that's when we have to take that thought captive and make a decision. To, to take it captive and make it obedient simply means to make a decision that says, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever honors you. So, Jason, that's what it means practically, and it's something that all of us ought to be practicing and on guard for every single day. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, I invited a friend to church who brought her two small kids with her. They were pretty loud and restless, and an usher asked her to take them out. I was pretty angry with them. Should I find another church? Um, Anonymous, this is always a hard one. Uh, For some reason, people... um, um, I, I don't know why they don't want to take their kids to children's church, which is where they ought to be, where they can be a little bit restless and noisy. And in the sanctuary, um, people are there to hear the word of God. And if the kids were pretty loud, that's your word, and restless, then the usher needed to come and ask her to take them out into the hallway or take them to a children's church. Uh, and the reason they had to do that is out of consideration for the whole of the people. I don't find anything... Um, uh, out of line about this, other than, unless, of course, the usher was rude, and certainly I'm sure that's not the case. So um, what you need to do is, is, is understand that this isn't just about her and her kids. You know, I've had people say, Pastor Ron, you just, and, and this isn't somebody who comes to our church, so I'm, I'm just using me as an example. I've had people say, well, Pastor Ron, you just don't want your sermons to be interrupted. It has nothing to do with that. The Word of God is living and active. It's powerful. The Word of God is the focus of our church services. And if all of the people around those pretty loud and restless kids weren't able to hear what the Lord was saying to them, or if they were distracted, well, then I would consider that a problem. And if you were angry with the church or with the usher, so much that you're considering finding another church, then you probably really need to check your heart. This would have been a good time to witness to uh, your friend. Um, um, she may or may not have been a believer, but just say, well, you know, we so value the word of God here. You, you could have been used to say, well, why don't you go with me? We'll take them to children's ministry. 
That way they can be kids. We expect that. By the way, the kids would learn there too. So I just think it's really important that we prioritize. And if somebody's feelings were hurt because an usher, in consideration for a larger number of people, um, asked her to take the kids out into the hallway or to children's church, uh, I find that anonymous um, um, a perfect response. And we have to do that sometimes. Um, you know, you can you can talk to the head usher at times, too. Um, try to better understand what the church is doing. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. I have a scripture in Second Corinthians, and it's so breathtakingly beautiful. It just it just shows it shows how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I wondered if you'd expound on it. It is Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. I'll read it out of the NIV, and then I'll listen. Um, I'll hang up and listen. It says, "May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ." and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I'll just listen on the radio. Oh, Cindy, can I, can I ask you one more, before you go, what, what verse did you say, what chapter? Oh, oh it's, um, let me get back over here. I had to go across the room. Okay, it is Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Got it, thank you. Uh, hang up, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you very much. This just this ends the letter to the Corinthians. And uh, this is pretty typical of, of Paul's farewells. Um, I love the fact that in Paul's epistles, he often, um, he, he, he will say goodbye to people that are important, and then he'll kind of fire off these um, um, directions. I, I love this. And I'm going to go back a little bit on this one. Cindy, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, finally, brothers, goodbye. And then, I love this, aim for perfection. We know we can't be perfect, but we shouldn't let that keep us from trying. Paul says, aim for perfection. And then he says what pastors say all the time, listen to my appeal. What I've written to you, please pay attention to is what he's saying. Um, and then when he signs off, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Cindy, you know that I say things here at church all the time. Uh, the same thing. It's our theme. I'm a one-string guitar. Just be with Jesus. And that's basically what Paul is saying. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the object of grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But it's not just a grace that saves. He's talking about the grace that lives every day. The grace that teaches us. He'll write this specific thing to Titus, the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live um, upright, self-controlled lives in this present age. And so he's just, he's just saying the grace of God is with you. And then the love of God the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And um, basically what he's saying is, may the Lord Jesus Christ and his father who loved you so much he sent his son to die, may they be with you. And then, of course, he concludes with the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples when they finally got the idea that he was going to leave them. He was going to really die. And he said to them, look, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I go, I will send another me. And that's the literal Greek. I'll send another me. One just like me, only different. The Holy Spirit, and he will be in you. And to have that fellowship with the Holy Spirit is the security that each of us have as believers. The Spirit of God was given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. And Jesus said, he will be with you to the end of the age. And I think this greeting is simply Paul saying, you are surrounded by our, our magnificent triune God. And everything that you need, you have in Christ. You have Jesus because God the Father loved you. And you have the Holy Spirit because 
Jesus sent him. I think, Cindy, that's why in this particular time he mentions Jesus Christ first. Because the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent the, the Spirit, and the idea there is that we have everything that we need. One final thought on this, Cindy, is that um, with the Spirit and the fellowship of the Spirit we have, we know that the Spirit will convict us of sin, the Spirit will show us the way to righteousness, but we also know that Jesus walked every minute of every day on this earth in exactly the same way that we are by the power of God's Spirit. When the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove at his baptism, all that meant was that Jesus was going to tune in and listen carefully to his Father. By the way, when I talk about aiming for perfection, all we have to do is be yielded to the Holy Spirit every day. And that's always the direction he's going. You know, I think often about our GPS on our phones or on our cars. And if you put in the right destination, um, almost every time the GPS person that talks to you is going to lead you to the desired destination. And uh, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit will do. If you'll plug into the Holy Spirit, I like to say, get orders from headquarters. You seek the Lord in the morning because he knows all about the day that you're about to have and you don't. Um, Just say, okay, Lord, here's my destination. I want to be with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will keep you there always. And it is a beautiful send-off, Cindy. So thank you for allowing me to comment on it. We are inside now five minutes for this half of the program. Levi says, why will there be sin offerings in the Millennial Temple? Uh, Levi, the uh, easy answer is because there will be sinners. During the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, the earth is going to be populated by uh, people in their flesh and blood bodies. There are unbelievers who are going to um, inherit uh, life in the millennial kingdom. There are also going to be a few martyrs who maybe survived the Great Tribulation. Most of them will die for their faith, but but um, um, people that were saved during the Great Tribulation. Um, and and um, um, the idea there is that there will be people who sin. Uh, people in their flesh and blood bodies, no matter... Uh, saved or not, they're, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to sin. And so there will be sin offerings. Now, we're going to, in some manner or form, Levi, we're going to be involved in this service. I, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, we're all going to have different assignments in different places. But this world will be populated by all kinds of people in their flesh and blood bodies. And when they sin and they ask for forgiveness, uh, they will make sin offerings. Now, for those of us who are New Testament Christians, we think, well, Jesus is the final sin offering. And that's true. But remember, Jesus is going to be there ruling and reigning. And he's going to reign from the throne of David. And the sin offerings that are going to happen in the, the millennial age um, are, are simply um, um, going to be offered as a way to make peace with, with, with God. Uh, during that time on earth. Uh, There's also um, a a memorial element to the sin offerings. Um, That memorial element is is in in a way that it's it's hard to explain. But those memorial offerings are going to remind us of the fullness of the work that Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Uh, We're going to look back um, at, at... the law, and we're going to see this, the law pointed to Jesus. Um, when when those offerings are made in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, then we're going to do it in sort of a moral way. It's kind of like the way we take communion now. We partake of communion in church. Uh, it's not literal. The, the bread becomes the body and the cup becomes the blood. That That's not literal. Those are memorial offerings. And we're going to do exactly the same thing uh, when we get into the millennial reign. And um, why, we don't know, other than that's just the instruction. Larry says, this will be the last question for this half of the program. We'd love your calls on the other side of the break. Larry says, what is the best way to find the will of God for my life? Larry, that's the question that everybody wants to know. And we make it so difficult when Jesus says, just follow me. 
You'll remember that he said, my sheep know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. And if you're really a believer, Larry, and clearly you are because you want to know what the will of God is, um, just listen for his voice. You're going to hear his voice in his word. Be obedient to what you understand in the word. And you can't miss the will of God. Make sure your heart's right, unencumbered by unrepentant sin. So keep short accounts with the Lord. When you sin, ask for forgiveness. And then say, okay, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Fill me with your presence. And then just follow him. And Larry, you can't miss the will of God for your life. I think one of the reasons that we make it so difficult is because we want details. And remember, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So the idea is that we're to walk with Jesus by faith and trust him. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work and in us will be faithful to complete it. I think too many of us are trying too hard to complete it on our own. Well, you can hear the music. We have 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I have a very difficult question from Betty. What should we Christians do to help the homeless? It seems so far beyond our ability to help. Betty, this is an issue uh, that is unsolvable. And I'm not copping out. It's just unsolvable. It's become such a huge, huge problem that um, uh, that we don't have the will to solve it. Now, a couple of things. I don't want to sound hard-hearted here. Um, that's certainly not my heart. Anybody who knows me, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that's not the case. But we, we, whatever we permit as a society always blows up. And when I say blow up, I mean the problem becomes so big uh, um, in, in every major city, especially those in warmer climates, uh, in every major city. Um, the homeless population has gotten to be so bad um, that it is, uh, nobody has any answers. Um, Here's what we should do as Christians when you encounter homeless people. You should be kind to them. You should love them. Tell them about Jesus. Um, Occasionally share some food with them. Um, But like everybody else, they've got to be held accountable to obey the laws of this country. And that's where we've dropped the ball. We have stopped enforcing things. We've let law-abiding citizens get to the place where they now are the victims. I I appreciate compassion. I really do. Uh, We have a lot of ministry outreach to the homeless here at Calvary Chapel. Um, but the, the reality is, and you can parse it any way you want to, Betty, but, but the reality is that the people who are homeless don't want to follow rules. Um, and what we need to do is to find something uh, that they can do that is productive and constructive. We can't just let people sit around on the streets all day claiming ground for their own, not forcing them to work, not forcing them to be productive because we're not helping them. We have to realize that there are things that we can do something about and things that we can't do anything about. And there's nothing I can do. Um, um, As a Christian, we can all be kind. We can all be compassionate. And we can do what we can. But we can't fix the problem. I've talked uh, about this very issue, Betty, to uh, police chiefs uh, in our city. Um, Talked to other ministries that that are 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 focused on helping the homeless, 
Uh, and what happens is we turn them into sort of a, a factory line. Um, bring them in, give them something to eat, and then send them back out. When in reality, as Christians, what we ought to be doing is telling them about Jesus. God can break through. You and I, Betty, we can't. So we ought to be kind. We ought to be compassionate. We ought to help when we can. But we also shouldn't be riddled with guilt because uh, we can't solve the problem and we can't help. We've, we've got some wonderful people here who are involved, uh, deeply involved with the ministry church under the bridge. And, and unfortunately, it's ceased to become a church. It's more more just a ministry now. But um, um, it doesn't matter what they do. What we can't do is what's happened in uh, Southern California and Northern California where we let them take over cities and we penalize uh, people that work, people that pay taxes, people that want to go to restaurants and want to open and operate their businesses without stepping over bodily function mess, hypodermic needles, and being harassed by those who are helpless, homeless. So what do we do? We pray for Jesus to return. But in the meantime, we tell people about Jesus. That is uh, the only solution that we have, Betty. Jesus is the only solution that we have. Beyond that, it's just not something we can do. We have a Joy of Jesus ministry here that once a year, and we haven't been able to do it uh, for the last two years because of COVID. The city wouldn't permit us, wouldn't give us permits to do it. Um um, but we just have a day where we give them new clothes, we give them uh, haircuts and makeup and uh, massages if they want it. We send our doctor staff, medical staff out there, and and they they attend them and help. Um, and, and and basically, we're just there to show them that God loves them. The rest is up to them. Let's go to Ron on line one from San Antonio. Ron, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Ron. Uh, I'm got a question on uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. The angel to seal the 144,000 is going, coming up or ascending, based on what Bible you're reading. So are the mm-hmm. 144,000 in heaven uh, being sealed, based on chapter 14? Mm-hmm. Well, no, the 144,000, Ron, that are being sealed are are those who had uh, who were were sealed from protection? One hundred forty-four thousand witnesses, twelve thousand Jews from each of the twelve tribes of Israel, um, and um, um, the the angel that comes up from the east, it says, uh, had the seal of the living God. Um, you know, it's interesting to me, Ron, throughout Scripture to study the various ministries of angels. This particular one is a powerful angel who's bringing a seal of God. And his job is to mark uh, or protect God's servants from harm. And we know that the 144,000 were sealed so that they couldn't be harmed, they couldn't be killed, their ministry couldn't be stopped. Now, there's a lot of precedent in the Bible for God sealing or protecting his own people. We saw that in the example of Noah being sealed in the ark. We saw it in the story of Rahab and her household being protected when Joshua took his troops into Exodus. God also made a distinction between Israel and Egypt uh, during the Exodus judgments on Pharaoh. Uh, In fact, it's Exodus chapter 9, uh, verse 4. The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And... um, um that's that's the purpose of the of the sealing um he also called out it says in the rest of the verse in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea so he's giving limitations do not harm the land of the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servant of our god so the 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 limits of those judgments are protected until this protection this sealing is completely accomplished a seal denotes ownership. You know, we sort of, we, we are farmers, brand cattle or brand their horses. And uh, this is a unique identification mark which emphasizes uh, that God is the one who's doing this. So everybody knows it's him. And it's the 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. That's verses, or, or actually verse 4. So that's the answer, Ron. Thank you very, very much.
Let's go to, I think we got somebody else on the phone. Mike on line one from San Antonio. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? Good, Mike. Thank you. Hey, I have several uh, questions, and they're not related. I've been okay. listening for probably several years, and you get great phone calls from people. And, and I've studied my Bible, and I wanted to make sure I understood uh, understand what I'm hearing. The first one, and I think the simplest one, is talking about the rapture and meeting Jesus Christ after our death. And the verse that I find comforting, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, is absent from the body, present with the Lord. So my understanding is when I pass, I'm immediately in the presence of Christ. Is this true? That's true, Mike. Instantly. No problem. You understand that very well. Could you repeat? Could you repeat that? Yeah, I said you're absolutely right. There's there's no problem with your understanding there. The minute we die, uh, and, and again, our only our bodies die, um, the spirit uh, in us instantly goes into the presence of Jesus, uh, and we are with Him from that point forward forever. So your 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 understanding of that is correct. Are you still with us? Oh, I'm sorry. I think Mike is here. I, I said, are you still with us? Could you hear me? Yeah, I'm still listening. Okay, yeah, I'm. That's that. You you you've got it down perfectly, Mike. Okay, can I get two more? Or not enough time. Yep. Nope. Nobody's went. Nobody's holding. So go ahead. Oh, okay. The other one, and again, it's because I listen to the show. We we get these calls. Uh, here's the probably the most common one you get, like all the time, about eternal security. And I've had my own issues, and you shared recently that you've never doubted your salvation like one time in 30 years, and I can tell you, unfortunately, I have more than one. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the question I have in this, in this category is Paul's uh, struggle in Romans chapter 7, and I don't know if you want to elaborate about the things that I wish to do I don't, and the things yeah. that I hate is what I do. Yeah, I can do that, Mike. Um, uh, th- that's pretty simple. That's That would be more theologically dealing with his sanctification. And what Paul is saying is that, that his daily struggles, um, and, and I, ha- I, I, I think Paul gives us a lot of clues what his struggles were. I think Paul had a problem with his anger uh, from time to time. Uh, it would bleed over a little bit. I wish they'd go all the way and emasculate themselves, he said, to uh, of the Judaizers. Um, and, and pride, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he's been given this uh, 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 thorn in the flesh, uh, permitted by a messenger of Satan to keep him from becoming conceited. And, and you can understand with the revelations of God he's had and, and the mysteries that were revealed to him, um, uh, his flesh is like your flesh and my flesh, Mike. It's no good. There's nothing good in it. And I think he struggled with it. And I think clearly Paul hated his flesh. And so when he's talking about, in Romans chapter 7, he's talking about uh, his struggle with his own flesh. This isn't uh, somebody else's struggle. This isn't as suggested by some who call that, well, this is before Paul was saved. No, Paul was just like you, Mike, and just like me. He struggled with his flesh to keep it under control. And in this case, he said, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And his conclusion was, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And then, as you know, Mike, it goes immediately into the chapter on life in the spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says. We need to remember, it's helpful if we remember there were no chapter and verse divisions uh, in Paul's letters. Uh, that was done later, just to help us find things. Um, but but he's finishing a thought. In my flesh is nothing good. I, I struggle with these things, but Jesus has rescued me. And then he talks about the, the method that God uses to deliver us from ourselves. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's really, really important for us to understand. That was his personal struggle, but it had nothing whatsoever to do with his salvation. It was just that day-to-day struggle that he had going on in his life. Mike, the other issue that you brought up, um, uh, the, the eternal security of the believer, 
Um, I'm I'm one of those um, um, grateful men that that just believed God's word. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen, tell us that we were sealed with the deposit, having believed. You were sealed with the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, I don't know how much more definitive the people that that say, well, I think you can lose your salvation or God will sometime blot your name out of the book of life. I I don't know how much more declarative God could be than that statement in Ephesians chapter 1. If I guaranteed my salvation, well, my guarantee wouldn't be worth anything. But when God himself guarantees it, not only guarantees it, but gave us a deposit or a down payment just to be to, to ensure that, that he is sincere toward us. It's a question of whether or not you believe it. Now, Mike, I don't think you probably doubt your salvation as much as you think. I think what you're struggling with is the, the lies that the enemy brings. And he does that to me, too. Uh, the enemy will say things to me sometimes like, well, what makes you think that, that you're going to get to heaven? And I, I, I just reply with what is written. I know what it says, and I believe it with all of my heart. So to have the questions is not unbelief. It's what you do when the enemy plants those thoughts in your mind. And I can tell you, uh, my life was so messed up when I came to Christ that I needed absolute assurance. I've been saved to be in February 31 years, and for, uh, oh, I'm going to guess the last 30 years, uh, I've never had a single doubt. So the way you deal with it, Mike, when those thoughts come in is you recognize that the enemy is the source of those thoughts. And then you simply, and I declare it out loud, I choose to believe what is written. That's what Jesus did when the devil tempted him face to face. It is written, he replied three times. And when I say, nope, I have a deposit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into my heart. That love is there. And uh, from there, it's a very short trip, Mike, to saying, um, um, you know, I've got uh, all kinds of, of uh, proof that God's working in and through my life. He is the one who's holding me in his hand. John, Ch- the Gospel of John says, and no one can snatch me out of his hand. And he is faithful even when I'm not. And I think what we have to do is simply believe that. We have to remind ourselves that we believe it. And one final thought here. I think it's so important that Paul goes from chapter 7, I, oh, wretched man that I am, to that place. Because, Mike, there's wretchedness in all of us. In my, fle- my flesh is just as ugly and stinky as it was before I got saved. The difference between now and then is I'm not in my flesh nearly as much. And when we feel that flesh sort of taking hold, that's when we've got to be forceful in remembering what the word promises and believing it. And if we, these are great times to say, do I really believe what the Bible says? If I believe it, then God has guaranteed it, and I'm going to take him at his word. His track record is pretty good. What's question number three, Mike? I have another one, yeah. And this is a little delicate, and I want to be very respectful, because I believe there's a, a huge demographic in the world, and specifically in this country, with our gay, lesbian, uh, I want to say friends, and I know that you get a lot of calls about this, too, and you're just being very biblical. You know, can gay people be saved? Can I be gay and be saved? And the, the Scripture verse, I think, is in Corinthians. I want to say Second Corinthians, and Paul is talking about sexual idolatry and, and all those things. And he says to the Corinthians, and so, and so were you, but now you've been sanctified. And my yep. question specifically is, and here's how I understand it, when gay people, when, you, when, when I evangelize with gay people, it's like the first thing they want to say is, is my, is my behavior a sin? They don't want to talk about anything else. And mm-hmm. I think what's critical in my understanding is, to me, anybody can get saved irrespective of, of their se- sexual preference. They just have to make a decision for Christ. And then what happens, like you mentioned, sanctification, well, that's when the Spirit of God takes over. But I, I understand what you're saying. I think what you're saying is practicing homosexuals cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But what I, what I, and I've heard many testimonies from homosexuals, and I know many people that are gay, 
and I know them, and I have friendship with gay people, and I know that they struggle. They struggle mm-hmm. with uh, with this identity or what they call this uh, this proclivity to be to be homosexual, though they hate it, but they still struggle with it. And I just wanted to get some yep. clarity that I didn't I didn't want people because you're an incredible Bible teacher, and I don't want people to think, well, I'm gay. There's no hope for me. Of course, we're not saying that. We're saying that you know Christ will if if I, if I understand it right, Christ is going to accept me. No matter what, and if I believe and 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 understand that I'm a sinful person, it doesn't matter what the sin is specifically. It's my sin nature that I need to repent of. Does this make any yep. sense? Makes perfect sense. And and Mike, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail. Jerry, I know you're holding on the line, so please be patient. This is an important question, uh, Mike. First of all, it's First Corinthians six and Galatians chapter five which says people who live like that, and we're talking about lifestyles of willful sin, not just homosexuality, but but uh, drunkenness, uh, thievery, idolatry, greed, people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, once you meet Jesus, you can't continue to live in willful, deliberate, planned sin. So it's 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians chapter 5, um, um, uh, also in First Thessalonians, it says, and such were some of you. Um, that's a good study, by the way, in Corinthians and in First Thessalonians, um, be- because the, 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 our gospel is transformative. And when people meet Jesus, I think one of the mistakes that we make is we try to argue homosexuality when somebody says, well, is my homosexuality a sin? Say, yes, but Jesus died for sinners. I mean, you should the one who can fill all those holes in your life. Instead, we focus on the sin and we get into to, to shouting matches, figuratively speaking, and um, and and you know we're putting up walls between us and the people. We need to talk about the goodness of God. We need to talk about the fullness of joy that's available only in Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit can work on their heart. But it is clearly true that people who live in willful sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. They can say they're a Christian, but remember, and I say this on this program all the time, you're not who you say you are. You're identified by the way you live your lives. Does your life glorify Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, and if you are okay with that, then the reality is you may know about Jesus, but you don't really know him. So that's really, really important. Um, uh, one, one other comment, and I think this is really important. We need to be so compassionate. Imagine, Mike, how you would feel if uh, Jesus told you that you had to sacrifice the love of your life in order to follow him. If, if heterosexuality was sin, uh, of course we'd struggle with it. But God is so pleased with those who struggle and the Holy Spirit's right there to convict them, and he'll always take their hand and pick them back up. Mike, thank you very much for the question. Let's go to line two and talk with Jerry before we run out of time from Fredericksburg. Jerry, thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Thank you very much. I know we're short on time. I'm going to skip over, but I've loved, I learned so much from you, and I've, I've just been uh, given this hunger for the learning the Word and the Bible, and I'm confused about uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 23. Let me get there. The the context is um, Jesus has already been resurrected. Uh, This is right before the doubting Thomas shows up and becomes convinced. So we're under the new covenant at that time, the age of grace, as I understand it. And now he's breathed the Holy Spirit into the remaining apostles and tells them they as humans can forgive sin. And I didn't think a mortal could forgive sin. Yeah, you're right. You're, yeah, Jerry, you're right. Uh, only God can forgive sins. When Jesus uh, was accused of blasphemy because, because he said, son, your sins are forgiven, uh, he didn't correct them. He said, oh, only God can forgive sins. Only God can. Now, here's the thing. This is a commissioning in John chapter 20. This is the risen Christ breathing on his disciples and basically he's making them apostles. And what he's saying is receive the Holy Spirit and here's their mission. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Not because they have the human authority to do it, but because they have now with the reception of the Holy Spirit, they have sort of the key to heaven. They have the the message that sets people free. 
So what he's saying, if you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. It's because they have responded to the gospel that they are commissioned to declare. So this isn't like a Catholic priest granting absolution to people. What he's saying is go into all the world and tell people this glorious gospel. And then if they respond to that, you know they're forgiven and you can confer upon them forgiveness. I do it every single time we're in church. If somebody comes forward and gives their heart to Jesus Christ, I can tell them if you are sincere in your heart, then your sins are forgiven. That's not Pastor Ron forgiving them, Jerry. That's the message, the gospel that set them free that is forgiving them. So um, if they re- if they reject the gospel, then we have the same authority to tell them your sins aren't forgiven. That call we just had with Mike when people who are uh, are gay and they say, well, I'm a Christian. And I can say, I have to say, in fact, in love, no, you're not forgiven. You're not a Christian. You say you are. You know about Jesus. But if you knew him, you couldn't live the way that you're living. So we have all, not just the the apostles, Jerry, you and I, we've been given the same authority, but it's based on the message that we've been given, this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom from control of sin in our lives. Now, people are still going to struggle, but we can tell them that he's there to help them. So that's all it is. It's the message that has the power, not the human being. Good question, Jerry. Thanks very, very much. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 Word. It will be the date day show. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Psalm 84 here at Calvary Chapel. See you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.